0: So I just want to point out. So earlier you were like, who sits around and thinks of these April Fool's pranks? And I want to let you know, you have very creative ways of being irritating. So <laughs> that shouldn't have been too
1: big of a stretch I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'm one of the least irritating people I know. Case in point. <laughs> Me being the least irritating person I know? Could be. Oh. Um, no, I've never heard that from anybody else but you.
0: <laughs> I, I, I find that. Difficult uh, to
1: to believe. Common things I hear is you're such a joy to be around. Yeah. You make my life better. Right. And I like talking to you. You you make my life worth living. There
0: you go. That's given. Obviously. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Thank God you're on this podcast, Mark. Right. I know it's only a matter of time for you don't need me for my equipment and you're just on your own, but I appreciate you. uh, Speaking
1: of, can I take the mixer home this evening? Just for maintenance purposes.
0: I feel like that's a power move. <laughs> well,
1: it's funny because, I mean, I would take it with me if I ever get angry at you, but then I would just have a mix or no idea how to use it. So, <laughs>
0: Well, it, it would be interesting. If you ever got angry with me, like, you'd have to come to the house and get it. Right. Like, that, would be the, uh, that would be the other part.
1: Uh, does somebody not turn his phone down?
0: Yeah, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you should have turned your phone down. <laughs> so, the other day... Mm-hmm. I'm in an ambulance. No. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. And um, we're sitting at an intersection. hmm And we hear a Code 99 get tapped out. Okay. And I'm not going to lie. It's been a busy day. And it's not that I don't want to. Okay, Could I swear to God down, I put down, I swear please? to God I did. <laughs> yeah, so we're at an intersection. And we hear uh, a Code 99 come down. hmm And here's the thing. It's not that I don't want to help people, Mark. I was just tired of helping people that day.
1: Well, and the thing is, it's not so much I don't think that you didn't want to help somebody.
0: Yeah. It's that you didn't want to document the code afterwards. Absolutely. And I'm sitting there, and so my brain naturally wants to believe that I'm not the closest unit to it. Mm -hmm. Not only am I the closest unit to it, I am ridiculously close to it. To the point my partner, so it comes out, it's a store. I won't say what kind of uh, storefront it is. My partner hears and goes, that's a, that's that one right there. And I go, no, it's not right there. As I look at the window, I'm like, no, that's not it. Oh, yep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And so yeah, you could literally go in reverse and be there within a minute. Honestly, we could have parked the ambulance and walked. <laughs> we, we we really could have and still made scene time. Right. Uh, so we pull in and uh, there's some people walking out the front of the storefront, some employees, and they're looking at the ambulance like, huh, I wonder why that thing's here. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, they kind of look over and see at the other part of the store, there's someone waving us down. And they start pointing over there. Well, what had happened is this – another employee was doing his job and had coded right then and there. Mm -hmm. And another employee saw it, went over, called on his cell phone, called 911. No one else in the store had any idea. (laughs) So they're doing CPR on their buddy in the back corner. Yeah, there's one and they're guy, the to, only one that knows about it. Yeah, and we pop in, and so it was quite the surprise to the rest of the store. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an interesting one too, because what uh, what happened was where he had fallen, he was actually underneath a vehicle, and so we actually had to drag him from underneath the vehicle. Basically, the way the shop was set up, he was on the other side of the vehicle. We had to drag him from underneath the oh, vehicle nice. on out. So that was was well, yeah, on one of those creeper weird. things to make it easier. No, <laughs> no, he wasn't quite. Frankly, I just would have pushed him from one side to the other. Although, I case. think
1: you'd have to take him off the creeper if you're going to do CPR on him. Because it'd be like, you know, every time you did compressions, the thing would shoot up underneath you. <laughs> you see some firefighter just going around in a circle doing just <laughs> compressions. I couldn't shock him because I couldn't catch up long enough to get the pads
0: on. <laughs> the guy that's hit in, like, can we stop? <laughs> <laughs> can we stop? They
1: told us not to stop compressions for anything, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> By the time we're done with our second round, we're
1: at the hospital. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Then you gotta walk back and get the ambulance, that's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, welcome to Medical Stuff, my name is Mark Claire Frankham, and that is Chris, what do I use the epi for? Fingston over there, man.
0: <laughs> How are you? Well, I'm doing okay, man. Good, yeah, I'm doing well too. It's been a busy week. It has been. Mm-hmm. It's been quite the week, although I'm glad we are finally able to schedule this in. Right. And get this recorded. Yeah. That, that was difficult. But you know what? Our dedication to the public and our, our adoring fans, it's unwavering. Second to none. I say that. Uh,
1: I say that with humility. That there's nobody out there more dedicated to their fans than we are to
0: ours. Hey, you know, I wouldn't use the word hero, but I would it's understand why. I, I would understand why people <laughs> it's would. It's been used to describe us in doing yeah. this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> anyway, so today, today we're talking about the code ninety nine. If, if you hold still, Chris, you can hear the entire audience rolling their eyes. Yeah. Which is impressive because, again, not live. (laughs) This is not live. This is so ridiculous. Way to
1: break the fourth wall, Chris. Way to break the fourth wall.
0: You know, I don't even think we built one in the first place, Mark. (laughs) But yeah, so today we're talking about uh, Code 99. Or cardiac arrests. Yeah, which is interesting because when I was writing the title for the show prep, I could not think of what it's actually called. Just a Code 99. (laughs) That's all I could think of. It's
1: not necessarily called a Code 99 everywhere.
0: No, it's not. It's uh, common in uh in our area and I believe it harkens from a day when most of the radio lingo referred to codes depending on the type of call that it was, code 99 right. being the cardiac arrest. I couldn't tell you what any other type of call is.
1: Well, uh, there was a time when everything was done by uh rather than using plain plain English, all the radio traffic was done either by 10 codes. Right. 104 10-6, like 10 20 is your location, right? 10-20 is your location. Or what's your 20? Yep. 10-4 uh, was, uh, you copied what was being said to you? 10 4, good, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to use some 10 codes where I worked in Oklahoma, and it's been a long time. I think 10-6 meant you were busy. 10-8 meant you were back in service. No. You know. But, but you could almost have a conversation using that. Some play, Some places use 12 codes. No oh boy. Some people, some places use signal codes.
0: They like Warwick. smoke signals. Or?
1: Yeah. So the you know, dispatcher go outside. No. Uh, <laughs> like on where uh, I worked in Oklahoma, we had a signal three, which was a uh, let's see, signal three was I believe a psych patient. Signal thirty was a traumatic death. Ugh. And signal forty eight was a non traumatic death, like a cardiac arrest or something like that.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so
1: you know you would uh, you stage for signal three. Yeah, you know, but if you had a car accident or something like that, you could have a signal 30. Hmm.
0: So apparently in our system, we've decided to replace all those with plain English except cardiac arrest. Because that, to this day, tapped out as code 99.
1: A lot of times, but they also tap it out now just as a CPR. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. That's very true. I, have, I, I do hear that. Uh, also in the hospital, they call it a code blue.
0: Yes. Very common. Uh, so yeah, so the code 99, like we said, is cardiac arrest. It's when your heart stops. And we're going to talk about today specifically... Uh what's ha- what is happening to your heart uh when you're in cardiac arrest and over? Well, something. I mean there's you know, nothing's v- happening. It's ventricular fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia. And nothing. Asystole is truly nothing. Nothing. Which you don't shock, by the way, and we'll reiterate that several <laughs> times.
1: Um get me started. <laughs> and,
0: uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk about uh what those uh heart rhythms are or lack of a rhythm in one case. And what paramedics do about it. So, when it comes to a code nine there are a lot of causem uh, a lot of causes, but they all pretty much result in one of four rhythms. You have pulseless ventricular tachycardia. You have ventricular fibrillation, PEA or pulseless electrical activity. And which then used you, to be called uh, EMD, electromechanical dissociation. Which I current I. I personally like that one better. Mm-hmm. If if anything it sounds cooler. I
1: don't know why they I don't know why they change the names.
0: I don't know. Some doctor had to stamp his name on it somewhere. No offense to doctors, by the way. Or
1: doctors that stamp their names.
0: Absolutely. And then there's a which is the flat
1: line. So in, the, in fact, in my paramedic school, at the end of our ACLS class, we may have gone out and had some drinks. No. To the
0: point that we were toasting a systole is the simplest algorithm. It is you know what? It it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There, there's actually a so one of the things we can do in a code 99, depending on the rhythm, will will shock. And I think everyone who's watched TV for any length, length of time is seen them see. shocking, shocking correctly. Yeah, seeing them shock correctly, very likely. But there's a uh, kind of a funny joke with paramedics where when you put the cardiac monitor, if you don't recognize it, shock it till you know it. Because mm-hmm. eventually, if you shock them enough times, it'll all be asystole. Just so you know, that's not protocol. No, yeah, we don't actually do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're conscious, we're not going to be like, hmm. Just well, keep shocking them. Yeah. No, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what this is. Hang on. Whap. Oh, there we go. <laughs> asystole. I can run this. Well,
1: of course, that, that joke or that old wives tale of EMS uh, comes from a time when the monitors were not as good as they are today. No, they weren't. You know, now we have a full color screen to look at. hmm We can we, Snapchat we, with it. <laughs> we can You can have cascades. I mean you can have up to 12 seconds of cardiac strip on your screen. We can't actually
0: Snapchat with it, by the way.
1: No. Uh nice. back in the day it was literally a three-inch
0: green screen. Oh, and that that wasn't even think it was a life pack three. Uh life pack five is where I started off. No, yeah, I'm sorry, true. life pack ten. Okay. I just remember, uh, so my uh, my dad, he's in one of our episodes as well as a guest. Uh, he used to bring EMS equipment home all the time, and he had an old and school monitor.
1: At the local pawn shop.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I never asked what he did with them, <laughs> and he had one of the old school monitors where it had a defibrillator and monitor were separate, mm-hmm. and the defibrillator was had it a, in it like a suitcase looking thing. It, well, it was so the main monitor had like a handle to it, and then the defibrillator sort of clicked in on top of it. I think that was an LP five. Yeah. And uh, if you didn't realize the defibrillator wasn't clicked and you just went to pull the monitor off to check it out, it would slide out and smash you in the foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also had a substantially long AC cord.
1: Yeah, so you could plug it in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now it's all done off batteries. Right. Yeah, you just have to find an outlet. I
1: will say the Life pack 10, although it had its limitations, I did like the Life Pack 10. A, three batteries. Oh, so nice. you knew when you were running out of power. B... Man, you couldn't break those things. You could drive an ambulance over those things. That's a very specific uh, strength test I did mark. not do that. But <laughs> no, I mean, they were just solid. If any piece of equipment needs to be solid, it's your cardiac monitor. So
0: it's like you could drive the back, left, outer dually of an ambulance right over to <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> All times, in forward and reverse. Uh, so the goal for healthcare providers during code is to identify which one of those four rhythms I mentioned the patient is in, and we treat accordingly. The rhythm's going to dictate which drugs we use, and if we shock the patient or not, we're also going to look for treatable causes as well. Because on a lot of these rhythms, the treatment is fix the cause. Right. If, if we can find the cause. So in a normal functioning heart, so it's kind of important, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the electrical wiring of the heart, uh, if you will. It's very important. So if you want to learn more about the heart, go back to our cardiovascular episode. Yeah, well, you do cardiovascular episode. Pause now. Go
1: listen to it. We'll
0: wait. Are you back now? Yes, they're back okay. now. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so yeah, so, and then we, we also have a cardiac episode that also talks more specifically about the heart uh, as well. Or did we post that one or no? it's cardiovascular. One, well, we did cardiovascular recently, and then there was one we did way back. Oh, cardiology. Yeah, cardiology. Yes, we did. Yeah, so there's also a cardiology one, but I don't think... That's what think- I was talking about. Uh, gotcha, uh, but I don't think we covered the electrical system in either. No, ways. we really
1: uh, just briefly.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to kind of briefly cover it again because it's very important to uh, these rhythms mm-hmm. and how the heart works. So your heart runs off of electricity; it's wired. And the cool thing about uh, muscle, if you have ever seen like the uh, you know the frog legs example, is if you stimulate muscle with electricity, it contracts. This is how your muscles contract throughout your body, not just in your heart, uh, but in your heart in particular. So at the very top of the heart, there's something called the sinoatrial node, and that's just a little spot that sends out a little electrical jolt. And that jolt travels through the atria, and as it does, as it travels through those muscle cells, they all contract. They all squeeze in all at once and make a nice push, a nice squeeze. and squeezes the blood in the lower half of the heart. That then, then stimulates the AV node, or atrioventricular node, which is a little node that is in between the upper and lower halves of the heart. And what's it made of? Calcium. And it's important that it's made of calcium. So the rest of the heart uses a sodium and potassium pump to Mm -hmm. perpetuate the electrical signal. The AV node uses calcium to perpetuate the electrical signal. And the reason it does this is because calcium is just a little bit slower. And that allows for a delay in conduction... Before the electricity is passed onto the lower half of the heart, so that the ventricles, lower half, get a chance to actually fill with blood before pushing out. So it goes from the uh, AV node down to these, uh, <clears throat> down to what we call the bundle branches, which are these. I guess you could say larger wires, if you will, of conductive tissue mm-hmm. that goes down through the ventricles. And then from there it goes to something called the Purkinje fibers, which I'll mention a little bit later, which again is just more wiring that goes out through the muscle in the lower half of the heart. Well, in the atrium, the electrical impulse runs along the elect-
1: the intraatrial pathways, which is more of a cell-to-cell kind of... Right. It's like a path through the jungle. Yeah. Whereas if you, uh, when you get to the ventricles, because you're covering so much more area... You need to actually move the electrical conductivity faster. So, you have these these special wirings in there to move move the electricity along through the muscle faster.
0: Yeah, and every now and then uh, things get kind of screwed up and those things don't work so well. So, first off, one of the more complicated, I guess, rhythms we're going to talk about today when it comes to code 99 is going to be uh, ventricular tachycardia. So, I believe Mark uh, spoke about ventricular tachycardia in the cardiology episode. Maybe not, but I'm fairly certain that uh, we touched on it. But anyway, ventricular tachycardia, the smallest amount of code 99s, by the way, are ventricular tachycardia. It's usually one of the other three rhythms. accounts for about 7% of all code 99s Uh, and has a 45% survival rate. Well, real quick. So ventricular tachycardia
1: describes, so in the heart, yes, in a normal beat, you have the sinoatrial node is where the the, uh, impulse initiates. Absolutely. And the heart muscle is the only muscle that initiates its own impulse. Everything else comes from your brain. That's some place in your brain. Yeah. You've got a nerve. You've got, got that
0: wire that runs from your brain down to that muscle.
1: Right. Uh, the heart does it all on its own. Yeah. But as a coping mechanism in times of stress or times of damage, any any cell in the heart can initiate the impulse. It doesn't have to
0: be. The on an atrial node. In the corporate world, we call that cross training. Exactly, uh, atrial fibrillation. S A node calls out sick. Jerry's got to be able to
1: cover him this weekend. Exactly, atrial <laughs> fibrillation is a group of uh, cells in the atrium that are trying to initiate the impulse. You can have a junctional rhythm where the A V node or the atrioventricular node actually initiates the impulse, or the ventricles can do it. Now, each area has its own inherent rate. So, normally if the ventricles are going to be initiating the impulse, you're about what? 30 to 45 beats a minute. In ventricular tachycardia, you have a ventricular cell initiating the impulse, but your rate is, technically it's above 100 because it's a tachycardia, but generally you're above 150. Mm -hmm. So, this is where you start running into problems because the ventricles have taken over for for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And now they're starting to run away. Because you don't get a, you don't get the same level of uh, rate regulation in all the other cells that you do get from the
0: sinoatrial node. And one of the big problems when it comes to ventricular tachycardia can cause it to run away is something called reentry phenomena. Mm-hmm. And what it is is you have an irritable cell. Phenomena. Doo, doo. Doo, 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 doo. Yeah. Phenomena. Yeah. I can't You're say the word that about power. doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and you did that to me years ago. Years ago, you when we lay were- a lot at my feet. You know what? I should.
1: I I really should, Mark. We worked together for a mere year and a half, but like ninety percent of your emotional problems are my problem. Are you denying or stating? <laughs> I'm just saying there may have been something there before I came along and opened the door. <laughs>
0: Well, you open the door, Mark. <laughs> anyway, uh, so reentry phenomenon. So what you get is you get uh, that rogue cell, that irritable cell in the ventricle that, for whatever reason, has decided to take over the, pace ma- the pacemaking duties. And what can happen is it can <laughs> send out its electrical impulse. <laughs> it'll travel through uh, the ventricle and all of the muscle tissue. It will come right back, back around and essentially kick itself in the ass and generate another impulse.
1: Kick itself in the ass and do more duty?
0: Ex- yes, Mark. <laughs> There's a poop joke. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, <laughs> radiant phenomena. Yeah, got it. And so that can cause <laughs> uh, the ventricles to uh, run away. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you can have pulsed ventricular tachycardia. Right. You know, and generally, you do have pulsed ventricular tachycardia. Before you have pulseless ventricular
0: tachycardia, right? And the and the the way ventricular tachycardia becomes pulseless is because you lose your pulse. Yeah, <laughs> you're
1: welcome. You may worship me if you like. Yes, that's right. Medical master.
0: You know what? I would use the word hero now. There it is. <laughs> um. <laughs> But the problem is, is that uh, basically your ventricles, they're squeezing so fast that they're not staying open enough to allow blood to fill them. Mm -hmm. And so there's something called the ejection fraction, which we talk about more in the cardiology episode. But the ejection fraction is essentially how much blood is being pushed out every time the heart squeezes. Mm -hmm. And this ejection fraction essentially gets lower to the point of... Insignificant. It's not enough to generate a pulse or perfuse the brain. Right. Then the person goes unconscious. Uh, they stop breathing and they essentially die.
1: Well, I mean, part of the problem is that if you're in ventricular tachycardia, it probably means that the atriums aren't working, and so the essentially the ventricles are trying to fill off of passive pressure. Yeah, and that's just it's just relying on essentially gravity to pull blood from or the, you know, the suctioning of the ventricles,
0: but it's just happening so fast. They don't fill up all the way. Right. And so you it, your heart at that point might as well not pump at all. Right. Because it's not getting blood anywhere. Um, the nice thing, though, about ventricular tachycardia is the first thing that the heart feeds when it pushes blood to the body is itself. Mm-hmm. And so the, that's sort of the nice – and I'm using air quotes here, which obviously you can't see because you're listening. But the nice thing about ventricular tachycardia is that of the – I guess you'd call them the four deadly rhythms – ventricular tachycardia – in a lot of it cases, like a band, it, right? Exactly, or the maybe four. like a hair. I
1: the metro We got the four deadly rhythms.
0: So I was gonna say a Harry Potter book. Oh yeah, yeah see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter and the four deadly rhythms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a ring to it. This is the second episode of the Harry Potter reference, by the way. That's uh, statistics. I don't think we'd be keeping track of. You know, I don't know why we're not, but <clears throat> so four deadly rhythms. Hashtag Hogwarts. Sorry. <laughs> That was awful. Anyway, uh this one is the most likely to actually continue to perfuse the heart because it requires a minimal amount of pressure to go out there. The ejection fraction can be reduced while still feeding the coronary arteries, which is why it does have a higher survival rate than the uh, other of the, the remaining three deadly rhythms. So problem with ventricular tachycardia, if it's not fixed, can evolve into ventricular fibrillation, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a, bit, a little bit. So how do we treat ventricular tachycardia? Well, first of all, how do we treat all codes? What's the biggest thing we're going to do on anyone who's in cardiac arrest? Are you asking me? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I would hope you would know. I'm going to go with CPR. I'm going to go with that, too. So the American Heart Association <laughs> and-, and the rest <laughs> of the world. Um, so this will be the t- part in the show where I will uh, – if, if you have not – Uh, Go find a local CPR class, whether it's layperson CPR or if you're a healthcare provider and you don't feel confident in CPR, go get confident in it. Mm -hmm. It is uh, one of the defining factors in whether or not someone's going to live through an event like this or not is good chest compressions and early defibrillation.
1: And the thing is, is that anymore
0: the CPR (laughs) is being uh,
1: taught to uh, citizens? is compressions only.
0: Yeah, it's hands-on. Basically, you put your hands right in the middle of the chest between the nipples, and you push it anywhere between 100 and 120 beats per minute. Some would say over the sternum, but, you know, we all have our landmarks, I guess. Well, I think they're going between the nipples just because it's easy to say, hey, middle of the chest, between the nips. Problem with that. Old people. Yeah. Not everyone's nipples are in the <laughs> right, same spot. exactly. Oh, which motherfucker did in silence? There is that me again? <laughs> it's you again. <laughs> no, it can't be. No, my alerts are off. And Mine that is not two. my that is not my chime.
1: Mine are too. I'm just saying, there's a history here for one of us, <laughs> and there's not for the other one.
0: Yeah, I think you're looking food too far into this, Mark. <laughs> anyway,
1: <clears throat> so anyway, uh, different kind of cardiac arrest. You're in ventricular tachycardia. You can get degraded to ventricular fibrillation. Right. So again,
0: how do we treat these? CPR, CPR. compressions
1: are being taught. In fact, a lot of 911 centers anymore, if they give you instructions over the phone, it's compressions only, including the county we work in. Mm-hmm. Compressions only CPR. So you don't have to do
0: mouth-to-mouth, they've found. Yeah. And what these compressions do is they're, you're essentially manually beating the heart. You're squeezing the heart between the back of the patient and their sternum, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to push out that blood mm-hmm. is what you're trying to do.
1: And what they found is that start compressions and just continue them. And don't stop. Because if, when you stop, you
0: lose a lot of pressure. It takes time to build back up. Exactly. So you got to keep that pump going. So there's obviously that. The other thing we'll do for ventricular tachycardia is apply electricity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk. Okay. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is when you're going to shock. So there's only of the four deadly rhythms. There's only two rhythms that you shock. And when you use an AED, which you'll learn about in your CPR class. These are the only two rhythms that are shocked. And it's V-fib, which we'll go over, and ventricular tachycardia, or VTAC. My daughter made me stop watching medical shows. You know what? Um, because of people shocking asystole. Yeah.
0: I because can I imagine, imagine that those irritated. shows... You know, I can imagine those shows become less fun to watch around mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so what you're trying to do when you defibrillate somebody, defibrillate, yeah, Um Is you're actually trying to stop the heart? We're not jump starting the heart. Not at all. Unless you're Jason Statham in one of his movies where he's trying to get adrenaline to kick in, so he's shocking his heart with two jumper cables.
0: I actually really liked that movie. It (laughs) was kind of
1: dumb, but I I liked it because it was. Uh, So yeah, you're trying to actually physically the heart for when you're shocking. The heart is in a rhythm that is not compatible with life, Mm -hmm. and so you're just like you hit Control Alt Delete on your computer. You're doing a control-alt-delete on the heart, and you're stopping it. Right. Hopefully to
0: start it (laughs) again with compressions and medications. Because the idea is what we're doing. So we talked about it. So in the case of ventricular tachycardia, you got that rogue cell that's just kind of doing whatever it wants to do, and it's stimulating the ventricles to go faster and faster. And what we're trying to do is stop that and allow the normal pacemakers to take over which would be the sinoatrial node. Stop now, it. Stop it. <laughs> naughty. Stop it. So there's electricity. The other thing we're going to do, though, is there's also drugs we're going to give. We're going to give them intravenously, although there were. Intravenously. Intravenously, or uh, through an IO, which is an uh, interos- uh, interosseous, uh, which is a needle, large needle, that we actually drill right into the bone. Certain bones. Yeah.
1: Well, you're, we're, do it. you're going into the bone marrow areas. Yeah, we don't just like pick us. are like, oh, the right. skull. Yeah. There's a good place to do it. <laughs> a lot of blood, too. Look at that. Yeah. No, you actually can go in the top of the knee. You can go into the sternum. And you can go into the humeral head.
0: Yeah. The humeral head is kind of the one uh, well, our county has been switching to a little bit. There's been a little bit of push to the humeral head. Have you done uh, the humeral head yet? No. I, don't know. I will say uh, I've done three of them now. Because I, I walk in and, hey, guys, how can I help? All right, let's get an IO on the humerus. So I'm like, well, okay, let's go for it. Uh, the only thing I don't really like about it, it's a really busy area during a code mm-hmm. to be right up there. Right. That being said, I started IVs and arms that were right. less so than a foot away, so yeah. not a big deal. So um, – Flows a lot better. In, really- yeah. Out of, out of these last three, it flows almost, almost like an IV. I'd actually say like a smaller bore I, I, IV. You can right. actually leave the bag open and it will drip hmm. um, as opposed to the leg – in some cases, they drip, but they require a little more pressure sometimes, I think, <clears throat> to get them in. So, uh, I well, I liked it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. So,
1: real quick, back to electricity. Oh, okay. Uh, back in the day.
0: Oh, no, no. Hey, let's stop the show. Let's back up to where Mark wants to be. Go, yeah, go, go okay. ahead. Yeah. yeah. Not, I'm, I'm trying to. Sure. You're yeah.
1: interrupting. So, back in the day, we used to use different jewel settings. We'd start at 200. If that didn't work, we go up to three hundred. If that didn't work, we go up to three hundred and sixty. Now, three hundred and sixty has generally been the limit. There are services out there that are doing seven
0: hundred and twenty. Have you heard about this? Is this where they're applying two defibrillators and shocking at the same time? Yes. Yes. I, well, I don't think that's how joules work. I don't think it's cumulative like that. No, I don't think it is either. And but I. I th- I'm not sure why. It was uh, one of the guys from a nearby county who I do vehicle inspections with that explained it to me. And They're doing it, yeah, they're doing it the next county over.
1: Mm-hmm. And now they only do it in very certain circumstances. And essentially the only time they're doing it is if they have defibrillated this patient five times already without a change in rhythm. Then oh, gotcha. they're doing this. And so I don't know if it's one of those things of, hey, it might work. <laughs> you know, or if there's any actual science to back it up. But like I said, I mean, it'd be interesting to find out if shocking a patient twice at 360 equals 720.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And I would almost, my my initial thought would be no, because in order to have set, because that'd be 360 joules. I mean, ultimately the patient does receive 720 joules, 360, then 360 but is it again. is
1: strength of 720 or is it 360
0: twice yeah i mean i think it's 360 twice because you'd have to be really really good at your timing on that button because right, right, right. that 360 is going to be delivered in a yeah. in a millisecond and then
1: you got the whole conversation on scene okay are we going on three or is it one <laughs> two three and then go <laughs> could you just imagine gonna... all right one two, three. whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait are we going on three is it one two three or is it one two three go <laughs>
0: So. End up shocking the guy 25 times just to get it right. <laughs> trying
1: to get your, to your uh, shit together
0: on scene. That was also another favorite thing is there, there's there been a couple series and there was one where there's a co 99 patient and they were shocking this patient. And the guy goes, if you do it again, you'll kill her. And I'm sitting back here like, she's already dead. <laughs>
1: we're already at the first level. You get bed. to kill
0: her twice? Yeah, she's already dead. You can't really kill
1: her much more than she already is. Now, I will say that those dual settings were on the monophasic. Yeah, we're using biphasic monitors these days. So monophasic is it's going from one paddle to the next. So usually, I believe it's traveling from the upper right shoulder to the left lower chest. These days, we set our dual setting to 150 on the monitors we have, and we just let the computer figure itself out because it it records its own impedance because it's
0: biphasic, Mm -hmm. which means it's traveling both directions. Right. And so you'll get uh, – the computer figures out how much it actually needs. So what impedance means is that's basically the electrical resistance that's inherent in the body. And so the computer in there actually figures out how much how, – how many joules do I actually need to apply?
1: And it could lower it because the thing is is that every time you shock it, you're sending electricity through the heart and that's going to do its own damage.
0: Yeah. So it's uh, so it's pretty cool what they're doing today. And the manufacturers will change uh, the Joule settings depending on their monitor. Mm-hmm. Know, for example, um, we use one that's uh, made by Philips, and it is 150 for all different relations. Mm-hmm. You have other companies who want you to start at 100, go 150, then 200. Right. You have other companies that's 200 across the board. But generally, I see it between 150 and 200. And, and if you look at your strip as you shock, it'll actually show you the real Joules it's using. Yeah. On ours. Yeah, and it will also show the rhythm as a giant uh, giant spike. Oh, yeah. So, uh, any it? So, electricity. That is the preferred method of fixing ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation. Well, it's the most direct. Yeah, and uh, and it works. Very
1: first cardiac arrest was on an old LP10. And this is back when we were doing stack shocks. And those were pull starts, right? Mm-hmm. You had to hit the primer. Yeah, you know. Pull. Well, it was a step up from the electrical cord because you weren't always 50 foot from an outlet.
0: That's true. You know,
1: so this made it truly portable. <laughs> so um, In a wheelbarrow, but still portable. Back then we were doing stack shocks, which you would shock. If it didn't work, shock again. If it didn't work, didn't shock again. So you go 2, 3, 360. And then you would do... 360, 360, 360, 360, 360, 360, <laughs> until you finally broke the rhythm. On my very first cardiac arrest, I shocked the guy 15 times. Did, see, I would say stop when they're medium rare. Right. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> and that's the problem with doing all these defibrillations, is that you're actually doing, you're kind of cooking the body on the way
0: through. Yeah. That's what electricity does to food. Yeah. Although the other option is just die. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why we keep doing it. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll also have – we have some pharmacological options as well. This has nothing to do with a farm. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, I mean, if someone codes on a farm. But anyway, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, we can start IVs. We can start IOs, IV being in the vein, IO being in a bone, and we can give medications. All code 99s are going to receive epinephrine. Epinephrine is something your body makes day in and day out. It's half of adrenaline. Yeah. The other half would be norepinephrine. Now, this is the same stuff in an EpiPen, just in a different concentration. Right. So in an EpiPen, you have 1 to 1,000, which is fairly concentrated. And 0.3 milligrams. And in this case, we have 1 to 10,000, and And we give 1 milligram. Every three minutes. Yeah. Well, every three to five, Mark. If you're a slacker, you do it every five. Yeah. I do it every four. Still a slacker. Oh, no, I'm just not an overachiever, <laughs> like some nerds. Anyway, Until a teacher you forgot your homework. Anyway, um, so so right. So we can give epinephrine. So why do we give epinephrine? Well, we talked about this in our cardiology uh, as well. But epinephrine is uh, something your body uses to increase the rate of the heart. And it also increases the contractility of the heart. It's how hard it squeezes. It's also a vasoconstrictor. Right. And so if you're talking about a heart, uh, for example, VTAC, in the uh, instance of VTAC, what we have is we have a heart that's beating too fast to fill with blood. And so while one concern could be that, okay, well, epinephrine is going to increase the irritability of the heart cells and cause them to want to continue to beat fast, it's also going to cause those heart cells to squeeze harder. Right, And so you're going to get a greater ejection fraction. And also because the container, being the v- the blood vessels, is now smaller. Well, we talked about
1: this in the cardiovascular system. You need a good pump, yep. you need a good container, and you need a good fluid
0: level. And so what we're doing is uh, we're going to shrink the size of that container and make the pump pump harder. Right. So it has a smaller container to fill and it has a better pump to do it. Well, and it, I mean, as any uh, mechanical engineer will tell you, that if you you know use a smaller pipe, you'll increase the pressure of the flow. Other medications we'll give, and I actually put this in the show prep as amiodarone first, just to see if it would irritate you because I know it you're does it just kid. hearing you say it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so amiodarone. Uh, amiodarone is one of the medications we'll also give, and it's an anti-dysrhythmic. Uh, so in short. What amiodarone does is it lengthens repolarization. Repolarization is the process of heart muscle relaxing. It's resetting and getting ready to fire again. Well, as Mark uh, mentioned earlier, uh, your heart muscles and the heart cells use a sodium-potassium pump to do this. Well, if a heart cell has recently contracted, it actually cannot contract again until it's relaxed.
1: So sodium-potassium pump. You have sodium outside the cell and potassium inside the cell. And, and when stimulated, or actually when they switch, that's what creates the electrical current. It right. causes the contractility in the heart. Right. So what you're talking about with repolarization is those, you know, sodium's outside, potassium's inside. God, I hope that's right. <laughs> they switch to cause
0: contractility. Well, to relax the heart. They have to switch back, and that's a repolarization. And so what amiodarone does is it slows down that switch. So if you have your ventricular tachycardia where it's beating really, really fast, what amiodarone is going to do is it's going to make that relaxation phase take longer so the heart muscle cannot contract again until a certain amount of time has passed, slowing down that rate, allowing the ventricles to open and fill, in theory. That is what it's designed to do. Lidocaine does something similar. Right. It kind of takes a – go ahead. Oh, sorry. So what what lidocaine does is it's the same concept except it specifically impacts the Purkinje fibers we talked about earlier. Lidocaine prevents the Purkinje fibers. uh, It it reduces the Purkinje fibers' automaticity, which is their ability um, to do that switch. Mm-hmm. And so it specifically targets those. With the Purkinje fibers not being able to transmit uh, electricity the way they normally would, that's going to help slow down this run, this, runaway, this runaway rhythm. So Chris mentioned
1: earlier about how he put amiodarone first, just to make my eye twitch.
0: <laughs> <coughs> for a
1: number of years now, there's been a debate about which is better, Amiodorone lidocaine or amiodarone. Okay. Uh, lidocaine has been around for ages. This is in the same family as Novocaine or xylocaine is what it's also called. And when I came out, we didn't have any, you know, little upstart amiodarones around, running around. (laughs) We had lidocaine, and I personally prefer lidocaine. There's a couple reasons. One, I've seen it work a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. You know, it is, I think it's, for the job we're trying to do, I think it's a very good drug. Second of all, The half-life of lidocaine is much shorter than amiodarone. How long is amiodarone? Is it 30 days? Something
0: like that. So once you're on it, it's in your body for 30 days. Well, and fun fact. So amiodarone is also given as cordarone as an oral medication for people with certain Mm -hmm. um, conditions. And it actually takes weeks before the – when taken orally, it takes weeks before the physician would even uh, expect any sort of impact. Uh, on the patient. It takes that long for to, get, to reach your therapeutic level. Yeah. And so now IV, it rapidly distributes right. much, much faster. But that just kind of goes to show you how long that drug kind of lingers around. Right. So that's my second reason.
1: Is that you know, if you put some on amiodarone, it's going to be in their system for weeks. You put them on lidocaine, I think hours. Yeah. You know. Uh, my third reason for disliking amiodarone personally.
0: It's a it, long name. It's hard to spell.
1: It is. But... It foams up like you wouldn't believe.
0: Yeah, it does. Just just taking it out like God. Have you ever actually dropped one of those vials in a? Oh, good lord! In a hospital setting, not a problem. Why?
1: It's sitting in a cart, mm-hmm. sitting there in the back of an ambulance as you're going down the road on the way to a code, carrying your kits in. They get put down. Things are getting moved around. The kits, you know, the packaging it's in is getting. Moved as you're looking for all
0: the stuff in your kits and stuff like that. Yes, a new rookie that's nervous, like shaking the vials <laughs> he hands, hands exactly. it to you. Exactly. So pretty much comes pre-shaken. Yeah. The other problem with amiodarone is you have to be careful about uh, putting it in the same line with other uh, medications. Mm-hmm. It will react with certain medications and actually cause precipitation within the line. Which is essentially like a sharks and jets esque fight. Okay, go on. <laughs> you never seen West Side Story? Oh, sharks and jets. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I did I sort my way through that? Uh, no, I just... Yeah, shark, sure. right. Sharks and
1: Jets. Anyway, watch West Side Story. Fantastic movie. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> if you want to laugh,
0: please do. If not, I understand. But yeah, It'll combine with other medications. I believe sodium bicarbonate's one of them, and it will, the medication reaction will actually release gas in the line itself. Right. And you'll actually see a... And that's bad. ...foaming. Oh, it's super bad. Right. Which is a great movie. But anyway. <laughs> if we're referencing such things. So speaking of sodium bicarbonate, uh, sodium bicarbonate itself is not something we're going to give early on in a ventricular tachycardia when I started code. We did. Uh, yeah, and actually, it's uh, my dad has told me about this. Uh, sodium bicarb used to be first line drug. Yeah, you but, gave it when you gave epi every single time. Oh
1: yeah, every a, three minutes. It's a big deal, right? And the the theory behind this is that as your heart stops and the blood stops flowing, your body's going to start producing byproducts, which is lactic acid, right, or acids of any form. So one of the problems that we're trying to combat, and we talk about we'll talk about this a little bit in PEA, is acidosis. Yeah. And so the concept was, well, give them give them sodium bicarbonate, which is an alkali, until it fixes the, acid, fixes the acidosis. Here's the problem: <laughs> your body can tolerate only so much acid in its bloodstream, and only so much acid, uh, alkali in its bloodstream. And so what was happening was. I remember the joke when I first started was give bicarb till you get chalk <laughs> <laughs> out of the vade. <laughs> is that we were sending patients into alkali. So now it's kind of given at the end of the code when, you know what? Nothing else has
0: worked. So why? Hey, look, the kitchen sink. Yeah. Okay. My dad actually had a good joke for that. He used to, one of the things he used to say on scene is uh, uh, what direction we give next. Uh, he'd go, how about try them all? As in try them all? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the worst that can happen is they'll be dead. It's still, right? Exactly. Sodium bicarbonate is a uh, it's a component of the um, medication known as triamol, mm. and uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, right, and I think we mentioned a cardiovascular episode. Uh, definitely in the renal episode. Your the pH of your blood, which your pH determines if it's an acid or a base. You're seven point <laughs> right seven. I mean, unless you're me, then it's your PF. But anyway, seven point three five to seven point yeah. <laughs> So it's like a very quiet fart. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, it's 7.35 to 7.45, and your body's unhappy anywhere outside of that range. Mm-hmm. It's very, very specific. Um, I did transport a patient recently who had a pH of 6.68. And were you going code 3? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, so patient's not conscious. That's
1: one that, yeah. So um, what was the other drug that we used to use in cardiac, or well, some of the other drugs we use in these cardiac arrests? We got lidocaine, we got epi, we got amiodarone. Well,
0: as far you mean, just for uh, for VTAC,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: or yeah. Well, so yeah. So, so we're gonna go with like uh, each rhythm will also have its accompanying drugs to okay. it. Yeah. So um, yeah, we give uh, one things we'll do. Also, give magnesium sulfate for very specific type of ventricular tachycardia. It is the uh, French version of ventricular tachycardia. It is the torsades de points. Yeah, and basically, that, I believe that means turning or twisting of the points. Mm-hmm. And so when you look on an EKG. On an EKG, ventricular tachycardia essentially just looks like a bunch of wide spikes all in a row. Mm -hmm. Well, in torsades, uh, well, in a normal ventricular tachycardia, what we call a monomorphic ventricular tachycardia, all these points look identical to one another. You can't tell them apart. Kind of describe it as a sawtooth rhythm because it looks like teeth on a saw. Yeah, it absolutely does. And then a uh, torsage de pont. De pont. De pont. <laughs> I thought that was.
1: Monsieur, that is a torsage de pont you have there. Croissant.
0: <laughs> oh. Go ahead. <laughs> French fry. I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, I saw like Dracula <laughs> right there. Anyway, torsades, go ahead. Torsades. And so, yeah, so torsades is uh, something that's uh, often caused by, I believe, a tricyclic antidepressant overdose can cause torsades. Uh, well, yeah. And then it's also a lot of times due to things like, I believe, R on T right. will result in uh, torsades. Uh, but anyway, and this looks a little bit different on, on an EKG. Uh, basically, you have sort of this pattern of the points are – kind of large, 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 and then they invert and become a little bit smaller. So it's what you'll of see is
1: kind of, rather than a, kind of a rounded sawtooth you see in VTAC,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have often seen it as more of kind of a straight up and down, peaks and valleys sort of thing. Yeah. And they'll get th- taller and taller and taller, then shorter and shorter and shorter, down to almost a, a systole line, and then back up to taller, 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 shorter, mm-hmm. shorter, shorter. And all the way around. And so in that case, we'll give the electrolyte magnesium sulfate. Right. So, so what was the medication we used to give in between lidocaine and mag? Bertilium? Yeah. God, I, I, I did I Well, deep, you just pulled deep. that one out of the back. Yeah. yeah. The little guy in your head had to blow the dust off that file.
0: If you guys could see the uh, the look on my face when I said that, <laughs> one eye was about to escape my skull and the other one was sucking back in. And I'm not <laughs> sure why, but I was thinking really hard. So um,
1: yeah, Bertilium, why don't we use it anymore? I have no idea. Because uh, we ran out of natural stores, and it's too hard to synthesize. Fair enough. Yeah. Did fine. it work well? Yeah. I mean, the thing was, it came after lidocaine, shock, 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 tube epi-shock, little shock, little shock, big shock, big shock, mega shock, which was your magnesium.
0: God, that's hard to remember. I'm glad they simplified it for us, for us new kids. Really? That's yeah. tough for you to remember? Little shock, little shock, big shock, big shock? Come on.
1: Shock, like shock, a Dr. super Shock, shock, shock.
0: Yeah. Tube. Epi shock, red shock,
1: blue little shock. shock, little shock, little shock, big shock. Good lord! <laughs> One shock, two shock, <laughs> <laughs> <Red> shock, two <laughs> shock. <blue> shock. <laughs> so um, these are so you yeah. Know, again, some of the medications you're going to give in these situations, so that uh,
0: trying to make the heart more accepting of the electricity. So ventricular tachycardia, that was it. So ventricular fibrillation, this is the other shockable rhythm. So what's going on in ventricular fibrillation is the lower half of your heart, likely the whole heart, uh, has really no organization whatsoever. But the cells are still firing. However, instead of – because like Mark mentioned, each one of these cells has the capability uh, to generate its own impulse. And typically – the question is do they have the desire? You know, it depends on their motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so – when the electrical impulse is going down the right path, you know, the sinoatrial node, AV node, uh, bundle branches, out through the Purkinje fibers, it's just nice. Uh, all the cells are kind of contracting together in a coordinated effort. Mm-hmm. Well, fibrillation is all the cells are contracting individually. Right. And it's useless. Well, to, you
1: know. in the cardiology episode, we talk about atrial fibrillation. People live with it for years. Yeah. And it basically, it's just a quivering or a fibrillating of that section of the heart. And it looks, I mean, the only way we've been able to really explain it was imagine as jello mold. Yeah. Kind of shaking. Shaked a lot. I was about to give the jello mold example. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I've said it, you're going to say it. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So if the atrium are fibrillating. So if the atrium are fibrillate, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so if the atrium are fibrillating, it's not good, but it's not going to kill you necessarily
0: right now. If the ventricles are fibrillating, yeah, the, you're dead. Yeah. Because No blood's getting out Mm anywhere. It's just a useless wiggle. There's no push at all. Like me dancing. Absolutely. It's just a useless wiggle. I don't know. I don't know if it's useless. (laughs) I've got a use for it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, So (laughs) what can cause V-Fib? Well, just about anything. It's actually uh, been theorized, I suppose, that uh, as your heart dies, sooner or later, it's going to fibrillate. To some degree. Right. That's uh, just kind of uh, something From the that the phases happens. it passes through. Yeah, absolutely. So anything that can cause your heart to stop or you to die can essentially lead to fibrillation. Now there are some other things that can cause ventricular fibrillation that are uh, worth noting. So earlier I mentioned T phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Now T phenomenon can cause ventricular tachycardia but it can also cause ventricular fibrillation.
1: So T. if you look at a cardiac rhythm, a normal cardiac rhythm, Google it, you have... A big spiky thing, yes. Right, right to the left of the big spiky thing, you got a little bumpy thing. So, the little bumpy thing is the atrium depolarizing. And that's called the P wave, right? Depolarizing essentially pro- the electrical process so, of contracting, right? The uh, sodium ion, sodium potassium pump, and activating. So, you can see that on there. Activate. The big spiky thing called the QRS or the R wave is the ventricular is a ventricular depolarization. Yeah. And then after that is a T wave, which is the the ventricular repolarizing back to its normal state, so getting ready for the next beat. Right. Now, there is a atrial repolarization. It's just lost in the QRS. The QRS is such a more powerful signal that you just don't see it. Yeah. So R on T is you've had your QRS, the big spiky one, and you're in the middle of that T wave, and your heart tries to contract again. So your
0: R wave is on your T wave, and that sends everything all buggered up. Yeah Well, like we mentioned earlier, uh, only certain c- the cell can only contract right once it's been through the cycle. So when you're going through that T-wave process, some of those cells are relaxed, some of them are still contracted. And what's going to happen is if, then if you pull in another R-wave right on top of that, mm-hmm. you're going to cause some of them to contract and some of them will still be in the relaxation Basically, phase. Basically, everybody scatters. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone's on their own. Different and, then beat. You're v- and generally, if you have r that puts you into V-fib, it's very hard to get people out of it. Right. It's no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that can also put you into V-fib, and this is actually similar to the R&T, if you've ever heard of people getting hit with like a baseball square in the chest – yeah. That can cause that R right on top of the T.
1: Because uh well back in the day we used to to break some of these rhythms, they used to do what's called a precordial thump. So you just punch them. And this is where yeah, this is where you see on medical shows where they just start beating them in the chest with their fist. Yeah. God and it it gives hit the chest. Roughly twenty-five to fifty joules worth of uh in fact when I started, precordial thump was still in the protocol.
0: Uh that was still in
1: the protocol when I started. Really? Yeah. Are you sure?
0: I'm positive, yeah.
1: It? Uh you know, so it's basically, you're giving a precordial thump if you get hit in the chest with something, be it a baseball, or going fast enough, or a baseball bat, or something striking you. Oh boy! So yeah, so that's some things that can cause uh, ventricular uh, fibrillation. So well, also, one other thing is, and can cause VTAC, is a heart attack. Heart you, attack, where you basically have disrupted the electrical conductivity of the heart because you've killed muscle. Right. And so the, ventri- the ventricles have to take over. Or if you do enough, just all the
0: cells try because it's a last-ditch effort. Right. And it's not a very effective one. <laughs> it's really Bush League stuff. So <laughs> so for uh, ventric- ventricular f- – oh, Jesus, H. Maloney. So for ventricular fibrillation, pharmacologically, we're giving the same medications we wouldn't VTAC for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, epinephrine, we're going to give it an epinephrine because, again, we're hoping to – We're hoping to get any rate with that heart, and when it does, again, we want to shrink that container, and we want to increase the contractility, the contraction force of the heart. Amiodarone and lidocaine are also given for the same reasons. Like we mentioned earlier, uh, amiodarone uh, ultimately reduces the automaticity of the cells, and in a lot of cases of ventricular fibrillation, automaticity of of each individual cell is not what we want, because that's what's going on right now. And then... It's the same story with lidocaine. It's working the same way as it did in ventricular tachycardia. Has the same impact for us, which is why right. we give it. And in fact, uh, unless they've
1: changed it just recently,
0: uh,
1: V-Fib and Vtac, pulses Vtac and VFib were the same exact same algorithm. It still is. Yeah, yeah, precisely the same algorithm. You know, so. I'm gonna treat uh, one of my codes. I went on uh, firefighter. We all went at the same time. Hooked it up. He goes, "Is that Vtac or is that tor- is that torsades?" I go. I don't care because it's all treated the same. Right.
0: Well, <laughs> except for you are going to want to dump magnesium early. Well, we were right there as we walked in the door. So it was shock. No, well, right. Exactly. And, and he converted. Oh, so. so not even a chance for mag. Nope. Mag's kind of, I, I've hung mag once. And that was with OMC for a preeclamptic patient. Yeah. And other than that, never to hear touched. About, it. To learn about
1: preeclamptic patients, check out our Gin episode.
0: Um, right. It's kind of fun doing that. Well, it is. And, and, and yeah, it's good because, you know, we do touch. That's the hard part about, you know, podcasting about medical stuff is everything's interrelated. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. And so. I to hear about the interrelation between. <laughs> <people>. <laughs> but, yeah, but, Listen I mean. do all of our other podcasts. Yeah. Well, no, the bo- the, these systems are not standalone. Yeah. But we don't have time to cover every aspect of every one each episode. So, it's just there, very- I do. Chris doesn't. <laughs>
1: it's been one of the more. So, after Fib. Right? Yeah. I uh, want to go on to pulses electrical activity. Yeah. Or uh, electromechanical dissociation. Yeah. Yeah. So, pulses electrical activity, what this is, is exactly what it sounds like. You have electrical activity on your heart, on your. Okay. So, technically, VTAC and VFib are electrical activity, pulses electrical activity, but they're rhythms that are not conducive to life. Right. In PEA, the rhythm you're
0: seeing is a rhythm that is conducive to life. Yeah, we're talking about the rhythm on the EKG, by the way. I know right. we've said rhythm a lot, and I, I assume everyone would know what we're talking about, but just in case you don't. Right. It's the, yeah, it's a cardiac rhythm. And so it looks like it should have a pulse.
1: It's a sinus rhythm or it's a narrow complex as opposed to VTAC, which tends to be the QRS is very wide. Right. Uh, in PEA, you're going to have more of a narrow complex. And so you look at it and you think, that should have a pulse.
0: <laughs> but it did. don't. What? But it don't. But it doesn't.
1: So just because you have a rhythm on the monitor doesn't mean that you have a mechanical response to that, which is the pulse at the wrist or the neck.
0: And, you know, it's funny. This is actually when you're going through paramedic school. You have to do something called they call it static cardiology. And basically, mm-hmm. they give you a rhythm on a piece of paper, and you identify what it is, and they give you a little bit of patient information beneath that. And a common trick they'll throw in there is they'll put a rhythm that looks like, maybe sinus bradycardia mm-hmm. or sinus tachycardia. And then if you don't read the patient information carefully where it says dead. no pulse can be palpated and you label it as something else other than PEA, you're wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's a very common thing that they'll mm-hmm. put in. They'll put in the Mainly patient. because paramedics are jerks to other paramedics. Yeah. So why can this occur? So what What are some of the causes of PEA? Well, a lot of paramedics, if you go up to any paramedic and you ask him about the H's and T's, uh, that is a tool we use to to help us kind of cycle through the different causes of pulsus electrical activity. So what when, there is. When I was
1: going through paramedic school, one of the medics came up with, uh, and they've changed the H's and T's, but uh, it was damn 4H cat. And that gave you all of your causes <laughs> of PEA. Damn 4H cat.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so, your H's. Yeah. Uh so when I started it was six H's, six T's, it's down to five H's, five T's now. And uh that was what uh was off it, of because millennials. <laughs> right. Aren't you a millennial? Uh technically no. No millennial. It depends on where so I was born on nineteen in nineteen eighty four. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the chart you find, it's either nineteen eighty five and up or it includes me. Hmm. So I'm either a Gen X or a millennial, depending on what I want to be. Millennial. hmm <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, Mark. I know the age difference between you and me is substantial, and I probably should be in a different generation. You are. But uh, so first off, H's. The first H is hypovolemia. It's a loss of flu in the cardiovascular system, uh, bleeding out that's where you're going to severe infection Then you sweat it out or vomit it out or diarrhea it out that diarrhea did it out, it out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no absolutely and you lose blood volume again back to our cardiovascular episode in order to have uh, a blood pressure that perfuses your brain and mm-hmm. your vital organs you have to have enough fluid in an appropriately sized container with a good working pump and if you don't have enough fluid your pump can pump all it wants all, all <laughs> your pump can pump all it wants your container can constrict all it wants to try and bring up the pressure, but if there's no fluid to push around, mm-hmm. you ain't gonna get a pulse. It's um, kind of like when you're in the shower and somebody flushes a toilet
1: downstairs and your pressure goes down. It's yeah. It's yeah. You're hype over your Why you're, you're... do you sound so shocked when I come up with good examples?
0: Um <laughs> I'm trying to represent the audience. <laughs> oh.
1: this is how you feel everybody feels everybody else feels when I say stuff good is what they say so the second h is hypoxia which is a lack of oxygen so yeah you can pump all the blood around you want but if it doesn't have oxygen hooked
0: to it it's pretty useless stuff. yeah you need oxygen you need sugar and that can actually and that lack of oxygen can eventually affect the pump and its ability to pump and mm-hmm. there goes your pulse right so uh so the other h is hydrogen ion uh but that's basically references uh acidosis so PH stands for power of hydrogen. And it's basically how many hydrogen ions are attached to a molecule. Did you just make that up? No. Really? That's exactly what it's for. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Not ph f- no. <laughs> nope. Well, no, not right. pho. Pho <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> uh, so is completely different. That's
0: a delicious soup from a Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah, very true. But you know, it's funny, I did not I think it was actually you that turned me on to pho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember I think I think you just brought some to the office. Mm-hmm. Probably. That was really nice of you.
1: I met a guy. I was talking to a guy at a Vietnamese restaurant that I got my pho from yeah. for a while. And I go, "Hey," And he was fairly new. He been there a couple months. And I go, how do you like working? He goes, oh, man, the food's amazing. He you was know, the only problem is I really can't call in sick anymore <laughs> <laughs> because I'm eating pho like five times a week. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that H is hydrogen ions. Remember about acidosis. So, earlier we talked about sodium bicarbonate and how um, that can be used to- What is for again? What's that? Power of hydrogen. Power of hydrogen, yep. By the power of hydrogen. <laughs> I declare the acidotic. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so the, the acidosis uh, also is not good and it can cause uh, irritability of the myocardium, which is the uh, heart muscle. And it can also uh, reduce contractility of the uh, heart muscle as well to the point that, again, the pump is not pumping the way it should and you lose your pulse. But you still have electrical activity.
1: So, uh, the next one is going to be hyper or hypokalemia, which is uh, high or low potassium. They call it kalemia because the ele- uh, the elemental symbol for potassium is K. Right. Yeah. This is why my daughter in high school, if I ever answered her K on a text message, would send me back potassium question <laughs> mark. <laughs> she's your daughter. Dude. She is really. My every, every, every ounce of shit she gives you, you deserve. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, because I've done it to her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my The things you were talking about earlier about how I can irritate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's been the brunt of that for 19 years now. Yeah. And she still loves me, I hope. I'm sure she does. In her own way. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hi, K. Uh, hi, K can include taller or peak T-waves, and uh, low-K will be flattened out T-waves. Yes, yeah, so you need potassium. If you have too much potassium in your bloodstream or into your, in your body, it's going to cause condu- conductivity problems because there's not enough places for it to go, but it's still going to try and act. If you don't have enough potassium, then you don't have enough potassium to run the sodium-potassium pump to get contractility in your heart.
0: Yeah, and that screws you over. And again... No pulse. Right. And then finally, hypothermia. So if a patient's been exposed to the cold, uh, we do take warming measures to try and get them back to a uh, normal temperature. Wow,
1: you worked your way through that (laughs) one well. Is that the first time you said temperature, Chris? Is that how this goes?
0: I actually forgot what was written down there, and I was reading it and kind of comprehending it trying to bounce back from it.
1: So with hypothermia, one of the problems is, is that everything slows down to the point where you just can't feel a pulse. Now, one of the problems with having a severely hypothermic patient is you don't have a pulse. So you start CPR. The problem is, is that the heart's actually working properly, just not hard enough. And with hypothermia, things become more irritable. So you can actually cause V-fib or v by doing CPR on a patient without a pulse is hypothermic. Also, one of the old adages, and I think it's still true to a certain extent, is that they're not dead until they're warm and dead. That's right. Um, so yeah, so basically, you can't prove they don't have a pulse until you've warmed them up and you still don't have a pulse. Which led to very severe or long-run cardiac arrests that ended up being just cardiac arrests. They get them warm. No, Working gotcha. for an hour, get them warm. Because the problem is, is that... In the back of the ambulance, you're only going to get them so warm. Oh, yeah. Because if it's the middle of winter, I mean, you can they're warmer than they were outside inside in the frozen lake, or they were in the snowbank you found them in. But it's still not going to be 110
0: degrees in the back of the ambulance. No, it's not. Mean, act- the way I sweat, you would think it is. But... Well, you actually have to be careful how fast you warm a hypothermic patient up, too. Mm-hmm. There's uh, problems with doing that. We talked about how irritable the heart is, and you can, just by aggressive warming, mm-hmm. you can bring them right into well, also or VTAC.
1: What you can do is if you bring up the heat too quickly, the uh, extremities will warm up, causing vasodilation, but the heart hasn't been able to warm up to the point that it can, it can actually uh, increase
0: its workload to, to compensate for that. Wow, wow. So uh, the T's. On to the T's. Uh, so the first T is toxins. So toxins, what they mean by that is that can be uh, accidental overdose of medication, intentional overdose of drugs, uh, or maybe not intentional overdose of drugs, but use of street drugs. And so toxins can be a cause for this. One of the things we've talked about uh, before, we have our street drugs episodes, by the way. We have part one and part two. We also have an episode on opiates. Uh a lot of narcotic-based uh, drugs, be it prescription or mm-hmm. illegal, have a vasodilative effect They cause that container, the veins and the arteries, they cause that to get bigger. Well, like we've already talked about, like we talked about in a cardiovascular episode, mm-hmm. when the container gets bigger, the blood pressure drops. If right. it drops too much, you have no pulse, but you do still have electrical activity, hence PA. Right. And I mean, the thing is, there's also prescription drugs that can cause problems.
1: Uh, One of the ones that I don't see as much used these days is digoxin or digitalis. Yeah. And if you got too much digitalis or digoxin,
0: what would happen, Chris? Right. Well, so digitalis is a calcium channel blocker, if Mm -hmm. I'm correct. And earlier we mentioned how the AV node uses calcium. Well, the AV node would not fire or would not transmit electricity enough, and your heart rate would essentially slow. Right. uh, To the point that you're no longer getting a pulse with that. Right.
1: So, uh, you know, you also have tricyclic antidepressants, which you talked about earlier, which I don't think are as used as much as they were. They're tra- the strange thing about tricyclic antidepressants is, so they're given to people who were suicidal. Right. <laughs> and they were terminal at relatively low dosages. So they would get these in like 90, 10 milligram tablets to get them through a month. It's 900 milligrams of medication, of a medication that literally like, Two hundred milligrams can kill you.
0: Yeah. So, and how
1: does it kill you? Well, you know, it does the thing, and there's this stuff. So, what it does is it causes uh, your liver, in an attempt to process all this tricyclics, puts off severe acid, uh, severe acid, and it'll actually sends you into acidosis, which can cause <clears throat> what's called a terminal R, which is actually your ST elevation, and so you actually cause you, it forces the body. It forces the liver to put out so much acid, it actually causes a heart
0: attack. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome, but that's the, – the, the, I just – I like the explanation just there. stop and move on, then. Yeah. Just stop and, move uh, and on. ST elevation, so earlier when Mark mentioned the uh, QRS complex, there's a line between the end of the QRS complex, which is the ventricles uh, contracting, and the T wave, which is when it relaxes. Well, if that line is elevated above where it normally should be – Which would be the isoelectric line. We call that ST elevation. Mm-hmm. So – uh, next, next up one? is tamponade, tamponade. So tamponade is referring to uh, cardiac tamponade. Not to be confused with tapenade, which is a thing you use in cooking. Oh God, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so tamponade, and that's basically where you have fluid that builds up around the heart. Uh, this fluid can get in between. So your heart has a sac around it. It's called the pericardium. And if you have fluid like blood that gets in between the pericardium and the heart, What's going to happen is that fluid is going to essentially cause constriction and squeeze the heart. So the ventricles won't be able to open up and fill with blood. They'll try. How this can happen is you could have trauma to the heart. Right. Trauma, where it causes
1: uh, swelling or bleeding of the heart, but not out of the sac. Penetration of the heart, where the uh, the pericardial sac actually reseals, but there's still a hole from the heart out to the pericardial sac. You or know. a severe infection of the heart.
0: Yeah. So those are uh, those are some things that uh are there but are difficult for us to really correct in the field. Uh there are there's one municipality that I know of, I be- I believe it's King County in Washington that actually performs a uh procedure Paracardinal synthesis. Yeah. They're still doing that? I don't know if they're still doing it, but I believe they did. Or it was in their protocol. I don't know how many times it actually happened. Uh, It was in
1: the protocol when I started. And I point out to a paramedic and he goes, yeah, it's in the protocol. No, we don't do it. (laughs) Gotcha. And so what this is, is it's, has anybody ever seen? Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's, he's not doing a pericardial synthesis. He's actually doing uh, intracardiac epi, which hasn't been done since the 70s. Uh, pericardial centesis is actually where you take a very long needle with a syringe attached to it and below the, below the rib cage, just to the left of the sternum. By the way, do not try this. No, 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 no. (laughs) You basically insert this needle, inching it slower and slower and slower forward until you get free flowing blood back out, thereby hopefully being in the pericardial sac and you're drawing the fluid off out of that sac. Yeah. This is... An extremely difficult procedure to do in a perfect setting of being in a hospital. It used to be in the protocols to do it in the pre-hospital setting.
0: And and here here's the thing. So let's say you're wrong and it's not tamponade. Mm-hmm. You know what happens if you keep pushing and get free flowing blood back? You're now inside the heart and you've now <laughs> caused a tamponade. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just yeah uh, you know it, it's one of those things where I think there are some paramedics out there that like to have absolutely everything they possibly can in their protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. No. This is one of those things where – There are things that
1: should be done in a much more controlled environment than what we're doing. And that is one of them. As a counterpoint to that, I do like a good olive tapenade. Yeah? Yeah. Well, this would be a one.
0: Yeah. So tension – It's new actually
1: mo- not hard to make. Right. Well, what? What is it exactly? Uh, well, an olive tapenade would be olives, capers, uh, salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic. And you can do a black olive or a green olive. And see your olive capers – oh, and then sometimes some that have like anchovy. It's just be like a chip dip almost. Yeah, it is. It's okay. exactly like a chip dip. Gotcha. Um, if you go to uh, Fred's, they've got it on their olive bar. All right, Pretty cool. Pretty tasty. I'll give it a go. An olive oil. Sweet. Yeah, but you can make it if you get all by all those things and have a uh, food processor.
0: Yeah. And I do. So we like to introduce our new show, Food Stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Tension Pneumothorax. So that's the other tea. That's the uh, tea number three. Yeah, tea number three. Four? Three. T number three, tension pneumothorax. I hope the listeners are paying more attention than we are. Oh, God. They have to be at this point. (laughs) Um, That's not a high bar to jump. So tension pneumothorax. So what this is, so what a pneumothorax is, it's kind of much in the way that you can get blood between the pericardium and the heart. You can get air trapped between the chest wall and your lungs. And what will happen is just like tamponade around the heart This air pocket will expand and prevent your lungs from being able to expand. What a tension pneumothorax is, is where you get so much air or blood, by the way. Which would be a tension hemothorax. Right. Where it starts to compress, uh, put so much inner thoracic pressure that it also compresses your heart. And you get an inability to – your heart, again, has an inability to expand. Second bonus, it can also cause one of the ages, hypoxia. Right. So you get both well, those things working against you. I mean, you mentioned it uh, compressing the
1: heart. It's also compressing the lungs. Right. And a lot of times – so very common way it used to happen was back in the days of lap belt-only cars. People get into a car wreck. They see it coming and they go <gasps> – and then they hit the steering wheel with a tremendous amount of force. And basically what it would do is it would actually pop your heart. It was called paper bag syndrome. You
0: pop your lungs? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, pop your lungs. Sorry. Yeah. It's called paper bag syndrome. I was
0: talking about popped your heart. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. So, I mean, there are different ways you can get a tension pneumothorax. Oh, uh, but the tension pneumo would all, uh, can also compress the greater vessels, such as the aorta and Or the, the pretty gooder vessels. The pretty gooder <laughs> Um, it's an oversell, <laughs> but yeah, the aorta, which is the biggest artery in your body, comes right off the heart. Then mm-hmm. you have the inferior and superior vena cava going into the heart.
1: So, one of the ways we, or some of the ways we tell attention pneumothorax is going on, is number one of them: uh, lung sounds are missing on one side. Right. Uh, another way is it'll actually cause your trachea, which is the hard thing in the front of your throat, to deviate. El windpipo. Yes. Um, to alienate our entire Hispanic listenership so the windpipe so yeah it, it'll actually deviate that away from the side where the tension pneumothorax is so fun fact chris what demographic of people are prone to spontaneous pneumothoraxes tall skinny smokers <laughs> of which you are how many of those i'm um, two right <laughs>
0: So I'm off. two of those. Just throwing that out there. Every now and then I'll cough really hard, and and I do sit there. <laughs> and I, I do sit just pop there. along. Well, I, in the back of my head, I've got of like. I, mean, I definitely don't think I did, but but what <laughs> if I did? Well, you not know, have You cough really hard, you get like a little bit of chest pain, right? Like just yeah, like, I I get that. I think did I do it? Is this it? <laughs> is, is this the time? Did I finally do it? Because that was a coughing fit. I could <laughs> right. die. So um,
1: your next your next option for the tease is going to be thrombosis, and this is going to be basically heart based stuff. This is. Acute massive and car massive myocardial infarction. Mm-hmm. This is um, where a blockage of a main var- a main artery is so bad. What? So like you said main fart. Main. Var- well, I was going to say main artery because I was trying to put vein and artery together. Oh, so, gotcha. <laughs> so main artery area. So the thing is about your heart, the arterials in your heart is that they're not very big. So you throw clots of roaming around your body all the time if they get down into this into these arteries and there's plaque build up on the wall which plaque builds up all over your body over time the problem is these are so small this is the first place you're really going to see blockages happen and if you get into a big enough artery in your heart it's going to stop your heart it's going to because you're basically killing the muscle in that heart and this is what causes the chest pain this is what causes the sweating everything like that
0: mm-hmm And so the final T is also thrombosis. However, this would be like a pulmonary embolism. Which is a clot in your lung. Yeah. And that's going to cause one of the H's, which is hypoxia. Right. So finally, we have uh, asystole. Oh, I'm sorry. So the treatment for PEA. So basically, we go through those H's and T's, and we correct the ones that we can. We can correct hypoxia with oxygen. Uh, We can also get control of the airway if there's an airway obstruction. Hypovolemia, we can correct by starting an IV, giving fluid. Toxicity, depending on the situation, we have, you know, Narcan that can reverse, uh, problems associated with narcotics. And then, uh, Bicarb for tricyclics. Absolutely. Stuff like that. And those kind of things. And also Bicarb again for, um, hydri- the other H, hydrogen ion or acidosis. Mm-hmm. It's another thing that can be caused. Uh, aside from that, again, CPR, 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 and we'll also give epinephrine. Uh, if you do have this PEA and one of the problems is the size of the container, uh, one of the problems is the rate of the heart, one of the problems is the heart's not pumping well enough, epinephrine can help with all those things. Mm-hmm. So the final the final rhythm, we don't have to spend too much time on it, is uh, asystole. This is the flat line. Zero oh, he, electrical activity. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I finally found that on YouTube. Did I watched you really? it. Yeah, it was good. Um, this yeah, is the flat line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's going to yeah, be all right. Yeah. <laughs> we got to make a letter, Kenny. one. You are fucking up every time someone pushes along. <laughs> right, I'm going to shock you, Sicily. Do you want to get striked? I
1: will strike you. <laughs> anyway. Hey, so, Sicily, this is your flat line. This is dead. Yes. This is what you do not shock, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. It's because you're not jumpstarting the heart. So this is flatline. So basically what's happening is your, your body has gotten to the point that it's just not even putting out an electrical activity in your heart anymore.
0: It, your heart's gone. And I will tell you this. Every single rhythm... Normal sinus rhythm, which is what we're all in, hopefully right now. Sinus tachycardia, V fib, VTAC, every single one of them will eventually result in this. Right. Because yeah. this is what your body is going to degrade to after V fib,
1: after VTAC, after PEA. Yeah. You know. Uh you're going to end up asystole because there's just nothing going on. And the way we treat asystole, again, CPR, CPR, CPR. There was a point there where we were actually trying pacing, external pacing. Oh, that would be an interesting – Except the problem is that the heart is so messed up at that point, it's just not going to respond to anything.
0: Right. And a lot of times, what you have going on with your asystole is the myocardium itself is just dying. And dead myocardium isn't going to make – it's not going to transmit electricity. It's it's not not going to receive
1: electricity. And probably – in fact, it's – when I started in EMS, we worked everything. No, And so you would work an asystole code all the way to the hospital. And so we carried what were called thumpers, which were automated two-person CPR. They did the compressions and the respirations based off compressed oxygen. And I used to say that I knew the sound of death, and it was...
0: I'm guessing that was the thumper. That was the thumper going on, you know.
1: (laughs) Anymore... It's been recognized that if you don't get a fairly quick response, you're just not going to get a response. Oh, yeah. And so it comes, this comes to the point of the three up and out concept. We're going to yeah. do three rounds of drugs. We're going to get the airway. We're going to try and, you know, give, do CPR, get a good airway on the patient, get an IV or an IO started, give them three rounds of drugs. And if you haven't received any sort of response from that, you're just not going to.
0: No, you're not. Uh- so, yeah, so, for I mean, treatment for this, again, all those same H's and T's we talked about for PEA, they all apply here. And we use that same, uh, you know, acronym, the H's and T's. Let's try this. and fix
1: it and throw the sink, uh, everything plus the kitchen sink and see if it works.
0: Yeah. And, again, we're also going to throw up an nephron at it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to give uh, atropine. Hey, jiggle your keys some more. I think they want to hear that. <laughs> It does not look like you're jiggling your
1: keys. <laughs> well, they were digging into my leg. Uh, no, just when you started jiggling my oh, leg, yeah, like, I I'm like okay. Stop jiggling your keys, please.
0: That's like, very disconcerting. <laughs> like, hey, Mark. So. You know what? I had more planned for this. We're in an hour 20.
1: What else do you have planned?
0: I'm going to talk about post-resuscitative care. Let's do it real quick. All right, cool. Because I think we're going to have a lot to cut out. Not 20 minutes. No, but we can go over a little bit. It's fine. We don't have yeah. to stick the hour thing. Oh, no, we do. No. Actually, there's one thing I read. There's a guy who's got one of the most successful podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's like, how long should my podcast be? He goes, your podcast should be how long it is. Mm-hmm. Next question. Right. Yeah. No, it's – you get the information out. Because the thing is, they can turn us off and start us back on at any time. Right. It's not like they're listening to a radio show where yeah. they have to hear it now. He says the the only thing, uh, thing that matters is, like, is if you're selling, like, a mid-roll spot, roll your mid-roll at what your typical halfway point is because that's when your advertisers are expecting them themselves to right. be heard. So. So uh, Rosk,
1: right? Yeah, Rosk. So posters. So what happens in the uh, unlikely occurrence we actually get a pulse back on these people?
0: Yeah, which is getting better and better these days. But most most of our codes don't don't end well. S- still a minor, and yeah. the, the problem is is that
1: unless you we mean. get a pulse back, but depending on how long you were down and not getting oxygen to your brain. You know, what What quality
0: of your life are you going to have afterwards? Yeah. And lately what we've been trying to do is not measure success by getting pulses back, but by measure success by discharge. By quality of life at discharge. Yeah. You know, so. are they going to
1: walk out? Are they going to, have, are they going to be functional? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where have early. You, have so. you ever run a slumper? Yeah. So a slumper is a person who is pulled over and somebody's driven by and sees them slumped over their wheel. When I started EMS, it was usually if there was anybody there when you got there. Mm. It was because they dropped their cigarette.
0: Yeah. Ordered. Now it's usually because they dropped their phone. One of the things <laughs> that I've found is like also or a person passed out in a vehicle. Hey, sir, do you want to wake up? We get those calls all the time. Oh, yeah. People driving by. Oh, yeah. or, uh, or a person laying underneath their car. Right. Yep. Yeah, they're working on it. Yeah.
1: I've also uh, woken up uh, people sunbathing. So. Uh, so anyway, a slumper. I actually had a slumper in 25 years. I've had one slumper that was actually a cardiac arrest. A little disconcerting of a cardiac arrest because he and I share a birthday to the year. Ooh, yeah. Fire goes. How old is he? I went forty three. <laughs> he goes. <laughs> That's good math. Are you really good at math? I go. No, we have we share a birthday. <laughs> He's forty three because I'm forty three. <laughs> but so we got a pulse back on him. CPR was done started relatively quickly. So on This him. is about twenty years ago then. So this is a, the beginning of demise of <laughs> medical stuff. So. Relatively quick CPR. There was an off duty police officer that saw it happen. He was breaking into the car when the fire department got there. They were just up the road. This is over at the theaters at Post Five. Uh, we got there very quickly, got a pulse back on him, still having cognitive difficulties and short term memory loss. Yeah. Even after that. So, ROSC, return to spontaneous circulation. This is a good thing. Yeah. In this, theory. This means we won ish. Ish, depending yeah, on the outcome. We've started winning. So what do we do when we get ROSC? Well, hopefully we take him to the hospital. High five. Yeah. <laughs> get a refusal. We fix the problem. <laughs> there you go. No. So um,
0: we're going to immediately assess vital signs. And then? Because uh, we get ROSC. Basically, we turn. we get ROSC because we now have a pulse. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what kind of code we ran and what rhythm they were in is going to determine what we do now. One of the things that uh, we started doing, but I think is being dialed back, is hypothermia or induced hypothermia. So uh, what we'll do is we'll try and make the patient colder. And the reason being is because uh, death, cell death, like any other process in your body, is a metabolic process. And making a patient hypothermic slows this metabolic process. Uh, also these patients have, uh, typically been, we've been giving them large amounts of oxygen throughout this process and the sudden influx of oxygen to cells that haven't had it for a while. Once the pulse returns can actually also cause damage to those cells and quicken that metabolic process of cell death. So we keep them a little cold and then they are slowly warmed up. Uh, to normal body temperature is the initial plan mm-hmm. after that. Uh, what we'll also do is we'll run what we call a 12-lead EKG. Mm-hmm. What that is is that's just a more complex EKG where we're looking at more angles of the heart. And that's just to determine if they had a heart attack, which is one of those H's and T's. Uh, one of the, Actually, it's the, one of the final T's there, thrombus. It's talking about a uh, heart attack. And if they did have a heart attack, which is a fairly common cause for mm-hmm. a code 99, then we know we're going to be taking them straight up to the cath lab. Mm-hmm. and Where
1: they're going to try and open up that artery. Right. And get blood flow back to that area.
0: So, yeah. And how effective that is is determined,
1: again, by how long they were without a pulse
0: what we also might do is we might uh, hang a medication or an anti-dysrhythmic. Like lidocaine. Yeah. Or amiodarone. Or lidocaine. Yeah. Or amiodarone. Uh, Lidocaine. Yeah. And there's amio too. Uh, so, uh, So in the cases of ventricular fibrillation and ventricular tachycardia Uh, let's say we get there on scene and we defibrillate them. We didn't give any medication whatsoever. What we're going to do when they come back, we're going to give them a one-time bolus of lidocaine, and then we're going to re-bolus it at at half that dose about every 10 minutes on into the hospital. Uh, If we did use an antidesrhythmic and we used amiodarone, what we're going to do is we're going to re-dose that amiodarone 30 minutes uh, with about 150 milligrams over 10 minutes. And here's my thing about this. I've always felt that way. Mark, when was the ras- Jesus Christ! When was the la- when was the rash? <laughs> ras- <laughs> uh, <laughs> when was the last time it took you thirty minutes to get to a hospital after Rosk? Never. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see if you're in like deep beefy timber, and you got Rosk inside a very difficult like trailer on someone's. Backyard yeah. and there was I a mean, dog. The thing
1: is, is that we work was, in a system where a majority of our responses are close to a hospital that can handle this stuff.
0: Yeah, we're very resource heavy.
1: But yeah. I mean, if you I mean okay, Vernonia.
0: Well, yeah, and that that could happen. Yeah, that could happen. So, uh, and if lidocaine was the last antidepressant that we gave, uh, they're just going to be getting a, kind of a half dose of lidocaine every ten minutes on the way into the hospital. Right. If you're really old and you like that kind of medication.
1: So I mean, I remember when I. Yeah, you know, we push these medications and everything, but there should also be given and I think this is what the hypothermia helps address. So what this kind of the hypothermia kind of addresses is a chance for the body to figure itself out. One of the problems post-arrest is that although CPR circulates blood to the heart, lungs, central organs and the brain, you're not really gonna get a whole lot of perfusion to the extremities. Right. So as you get a pulse back and the blood starts flowing back to those areas, you get a lot of those toxins one of your T's back into the central system, thereby making it harder for the heart to act appropriately. And they could recode. Right. You know, so just because you get a pulse back, you may not get the quality of life, but you also may lose it again. Right. So anything well, that, else? That was a lot to cover. No, I think I'm good. you good. You yeah. all, all CPR it out now. Yeah. You got 99 codes, but this ain't one. Anyway, my name is Mark. That's Chris. No, 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 no. How long were you waiting for that one, Mark? Actually, that was spontaneous on the spot. I could Kind of like a code. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or uh, or if, you know, if I'm there, it's a spontaneous re- return. It's return of spontaneous so, circuit of Yeah, that. you really stumbled through that one. Well,
1: anyway, this is medical stuff. Uh, my name is Mark. That's Chris. You can find us online on Facebook at Medical Stuff. We're on Instagram at Medical Stuff 52. And we're on Twitter at MedSideStuff. You
0: can also email us at uh, MedSideStuff at Yahoo.com. M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. And you can listen to us on just about any podcast platform out there. You can find
1: us. uh, We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of your podcast catchers you can pick it up on. And if there is a podcast catcher that you use that we're not on, let us know. We'll try and get on it. We would love to hear from you if you have questions about the episodes, if you have questions, you know, About us. Mm -hmm. Chris is the ugly one. I'm the (laughs) handsome dashing one. So probably don't need to email us about that now, but (laughs) that's totally truthful. Now now you have the answers. Exactly. Now
0: there's a reason this is a podcast, not a YouTube channel. (laughs) Exactly. Definitely have a face for radio.
1: Oh, boy. So Anyway, thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Toast.